Hey everyone, it's the end of the year. We made it. <sighs> yes, it's been a long 2020. We've uh, gone through lots of changes. We've brought you, you know, a couple podcasts already. This is just to let you know that this is going to be the fifth and final episode of High Home Morning Assembly for season, season one. one. Yeah, season wow. One. Wow. Since you said season one, you know that inevitably that means there's going to be a season two. <laughs> But we're going to pause for the end of the year, and we're going to get back to it later. But since we're at the end of the year, I thought it'd be nice to talk about and reflect on this past year and some of the highlights for us. Ugh. How about you, hun? Yeah, 2020. So awesome for everybody. <laughs> um, I, I, the, I think the one thing that I have gratitude for is uh, amidst the chaos of 2020, seeing folks emerge as leaders in their community and really step up and take care of the folks around them who are in need of help in any way. And and I know that um, we were fortunate enough to interview some of those folks in our podcast, but also some of the folks that we didn't, uh, we want to recognize as well, who are out there listening. Thank you for taking care of the folks around you whether it be your family or you volunteered for something or you work at a nonprofit organization and you stepped up and did some extra things I think that's what we kind of need right now is to take our time and take care of each other I think that's something that was kind of maybe lacking a little bit prior to this yeah you never really know once once you establish the needs in the community and people step up then you really see them for who they are but even without pandemics i know lots of people are doing good things every day mm -hmm. but to do it in a time of pandemic you're right those people deserve our thanks we thank you mm -hmm. gosh i mean it's already stressful enough and to have to take on the maybe you know i don't i don't know any other word to say it but it's kind of a burden and kind of a blessing at the same time to care for somebody else so it's it's amazing it's that huh? That's my word, apparently. <laughs> you went really deep into the community to thank everyone out there helping. I'm going to use a nice statement and be selfish and say I'm very grateful that, you know, I recognize and acknowledge that I struggled a lot this year. You know, being on furlough and transitioning jobs, mm -hmm. those things aren't very easy. But while things seem down and bleak, a lot of people in my life stepped up. You being my wife and being yeah. my number one supporter. Thank you. But lots of other people, family, friends, really came through and came in to check on me. And that's so important to me. Sometimes you don't really recognize how, how many people care about you until, until they're there. And then, mm -hmm. then you wonder, you know, wow, you know, I'm so blessed. Mm. Um, and I know that that's the same for everyone out there, too, for mm -hmm. people getting receiving help. I, I say to you, like, it still doesn't stop just because we're going to go into a new year. doesn't mean everything's going to magically yes. be better. Mm -hmm. I, I want to encourage and challenge everyone out there. You have a friend out there you haven't heard from in a while, check in on them. Mm -hmm. You may be the person who they'll be grateful for later on because you may have just brightened their day just that much more. But speaking of community heroes... Episode 5, wrapping up the season, batting cleanup, we interviewed Puni Jackson from Kokuo Kalihi Valley, mm -hmm. Ho'oulu Aina program. And we did interview her early. Spoiler alert, we haven't had the election when we recorded this yet. <laughs> um, 
so I know you're going to catch that and you're going to be like, hey, you guys are trying to trick us. But no, <laughs> we interviewed Puni and it wasn't an interview. It was a conversation. Yes. It was friends catching up. Mm-hmm. But we talked about we talked about the things we talk about, volunteerism, nonprofit work. Then we skewed into a, a real different area that we haven't touched upon this year at all. And that's um, being Hawaiian. Um, I know that if you're not Hawaiian out there, this is a great episode to listen to. Uh, if, if you're Hawaiian, it's a great episode to listen to. <laughs> yeah, and even if you hate it after, it's still a good episode to listen to. <laughs> Calling you out on your privilege. <laughs> but we recognize that in the middle of the podcast that it, it was becoming something special because we were touching on subjects that were so not touchy. They were just some things we never really thought about and some things we never really talked about. Puni brought such an insight to us that it really affected us for a while. And we thought that we would use this as the final episode of the season just to finish on a high note, but just to hear us truly in probably the most comfortable we've been in podcasts because we knew Puni for so long. Yeah, and just to add to that, you know, this particular episode, like Ryan mentioned, um, when we first spoke with her, we knew while it was happening how special it was and then directly after we looked at each other and we were really happy about this episode um and then we kind of shoved it for a little bit uh and we revisited it recently to edit it together and yeah it it still has the same impact i think we still really had to stop and we had to listen and re-listen again because it was just so insightful and so thoughtful and so educational and you know we hope that you'll enjoy it as well yeah we recognize that some of the things we talk about is very foreign to a lot of people but we think that that's an opportunity for education and it's an opportunity to listen in on people talking about their heritage and their culture and also a lot of times how it affects modern day work and modern day nonprofit life mm-hmm. I think the the truly unique thing about Puni is she has a wealth of knowledge in in multiple disciplines, and I think hearing from her and that was a huge firework. Sorry, Happy New Year! <laughs> but hearing from her perspective on leadership is really um, refreshing, especially because she's talking about it from a perspective of a Native Hawaiian. And the way we as Native Hawaiians value leadership and how we approach leadership is truly a unique thing that I feel lots of leaders out there can learn from and replicate. Totally agree. Um, Again, it's been a great year. It's been up and down. And a a terrible year. (laughs) And a terrible dumpster fire of a year. But we are still here. We're still trying to provide content. For people to listen to, we hope you've enjoyed our, our season one so far. We look forward to season two. Yes. Um, even if no one asked for it, we're still going to do it. That's right. <laughs> we are the gift that no one asked for. <laughs> we're going to keep on giving. <laughs> but everyone, take care. Wow. Stay safe. We wash hope your hands. Wash your hands still. <laughs> Since March, still wash your hands. Uh, we hope that 2021 brings something better. Yes. But even if it's the same... We are better every day because we move forward and we choose to be better. Yeah. So, you know, keep taking care of each other and yourself. 
Well, we'll see you. Yeah. So, as always, this is Ryan. This is Shar. And this is Morning, Morning Assembly. Assembly. Our guest today, Puni Jackson, Coco Kalihi Valley. The Ohio Education, Education Department, Department presents, presents Morning Assembly. Assembly. Hey, Puni. Oh, hi. <laughs> that wasn't scripted at all. That was a perfectly non-scripted hello. Hello, Puni. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for coming. Hi. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here with you guys. Yay. Uh, why? <laughs> <laughs> We've been friends for a long time, Ryan. Yes, a very long time. I just ironically, a couple of days ago, my Facebook, which is my virtual reminder for birthdays and everything, reminded me that I posted a picture of us when we first started working together in Waimanalo at Pope Elementary School. I want to see that picture. I probably was skinny. Oh, we look like babies. It's crazy. Um, yeah, you know, I'll pull it up. Okay, I want to share the screen. And then uh, show you. So this is the the picture of us. Oh my gosh! Oh my gosh! We're so young. <laughs> <laughs> Look at those babies! I oh love them. I forgot this moment. I'm wearing a lei. My husband. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so young. Yeah. Ooh, I date him again. <laughs> <laughs> It's always good when you see younger pictures and you're like, yeah, I was right. He's hot. <laughs> I made the right choice there. I know my hair I, is so tall. I, so, I wish I had that much hair again. <laughs> okay, I'm screenshotting. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Oh, this is so such this an adorable so, picture. <laughs> so this says uh, six years ago, but it was posted in 2013. So that's 13 years ago that we had this picture taken. Oh my gosh, oh my 13 goodness. years ago? Yeah, so guaranteed. There's some kids here oh. who are like six or seven. Oh yeah, they're grown already. Puni, you look yeah. almost exactly the same. No. You look just as beautiful as 13 years ago. Oh, thank so you. Young. Everybody I don't so know. Young. I feel just, so young in the image. You just have a lot less kids back then. <laughs> <laughs> I had two already. Now I have five. Yeah. I remember, I remember, I never, actually, this is a good time to talk about it since I have you as a captive audience. Um, <laughs> I remember back then, and I'm like, I don't know if Puni and Casey like me very much. What? Because because oh my, I, oh my god, I remember I remember this story because Ryan, Char, Ryan like, immediately came I, home. I don't think the artists like me. And I and then <laughs> then I really did some reflection, right? Why would they not like me? I get it. I won't touch any of the art stuff because I didn't want to get dirty. <laughs> All the clay, the paint. I'm just like, oh you guys are doing good job, good job. And I just kind of stayed away, you know, because I'm so I had such neurosis and anxiety. I'm much better now. 
you know but <laughs> at the time i'm like i'm i'm fully aware that i'm trying not to touch anything and i think every time you would catch me you guys would give me this look like what's the matter buddy you don't want to get your hands dirty and i <laughs> it could and, and naturally it could have been all in my head but i'm gonna i will i will confirm that that was all in your head okay <laughs> Because I know I don't, even, I don't even remember that you didn't didn't touch the stuff, so that that wasn't part of my memory at all. And I know. I we look forward to seeing you because you helped the kids stay focused, and you were really encouraging from and it afar. Was hard to keep them <laughs> without touching their art projects. Oh, good job! That actually, I have I do have a pet peeve about that, and. Well, my pet peeve about teaching art and having people, um, other, you know, partner uh, artists or partner mentors help to teach the class. I do not like when a teacher or a mentor touches the child's art supplies or especially mm -hmm. draws onto, onto their own, um, their surfaces. Or mm -hmm. I don't, uh, I, I feel like that's the child's kind of like sacred space. Mm -hmm. And um, and so I, I have the exact opposite expectation of a mentor to just wow. like, hey, Ryan. <laughs> yeah, you were right on track. I, I was the perfect art teacher mentor person. <laughs> <laughs> you know, truth be told, I, got, I only had like six or seven Aloha shirts, so I couldn't ruin any of them because <laughs> otherwise I had to buy some more uniforms for work. <laughs> But just to give people context, I worked in a mentoring program and Puni was an artist with the art to go program. Yeah, art to go, yeah. Yeah. And when I worked with the kids art to school, uh, she came in and she did art and taught art to the students along with the mentors. And it was fantastic. It was fun. Such an innovative program to kind of bring the arts to the students in a in a way that is encouraging to them. And and mind you. You're very encouraging. The kids loved you guys. It, it always made my day so good because I'm like, I'm going to get dirty today, but it's going to be really easy because the kids really shine when they're with you. So my job was super easy that day. Mm, I enjoyed it so much. And uh, that particular project was in Waimanalo. Mm -hmm. yep. And um, my, I grew up, uh, you know, always spending a lot of time in Waimanalo. So I was like coming home to a part of my own childhood mm. and I had been teaching art. So the art school program was a partnership with the state and um, the museum, um, the place, which was, it was Linekona. Yes. I think, I think it was, was Linekona. Yeah. Yeah. Out of at that time. And um, I had been teaching there for a while, but um, it was so good to go out into the community to teach rather than being only at Linekona because mm -hmm. we got the kind of kids that were going to respond really well to the kinds of concepts I was interested in, which was very much about identity, Hawaiian identity, mm -hmm. connected to land, um, you know, especially family relationships, uh, and then even using materials and things that have to do with uh, that come from land that they could harvest themselves eventually. Mm -hmm. So those are things that I was really interested in. And that was a context that worked really well. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. And then I learned something, you know, what's really cool. I learned something um, that I'll never forget about, about kids 
and perceptions of land and home that the Waimanalo kids in that, that program taught me. And that's that if you're from Waimanalo, you tell any kid from Waimanalo to draw, draw your home. They draw it from the perspective of being in the ocean. <laughs> and oh, there's wow. not a lot of other communities that I've taught in or kids from different communities that it's like almost standard that a kid from Waimanalo, when you say draw Waimanalo, they draw it from the perspective that they're in the ocean looking at the land. Oh, wow. Wow. Cool, huh? That's, that is yeah. very cool. Yeah. I hope that doesn't change. Yeah. Wow, that's neat. <laughs> well, Waimanalo, I think um, even the other day we we're doing some service project in Waimanalo. And um, I had remembered someone said, you know, I think Shar, it was such a long day, Shar goes, where are we right now? Kind of forgotten, like, what part of the island we're in. I'm like, oh, we're in God's country. Because that's, <laughs> yeah. that's what Waimanalo's nickname is, right? Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, you know, driving through Waimanalo, it's just so nice. And just, I, I, I always think of the, the time with the kids there, and I always think of how fondly, the ki- how nice those kids were. It was just really a good time. Aloha. Yeah, during that time, I was working Waimanalo. I worked IAEA, and then I worked YNI in Nanakuli. So I was working the, just one end of the H1 to the other end of the H1. But all like the kind of kids that we're working with, I think we were working with a lot of kids who, first of all, needed services, right? Needed positive influences. But I was so proud at that time to be working with Hawaiian kids because that stuff spoke to me and knowing that I could show them a positive male Hawaiian role model, although be it kind of dainty, but (laughs) positive nonetheless. (laughs) Masculinity comes in all different kinds of shapes and sizes. And yeah, yeah. Hawaiians, we're half half Wahine, right? Everybody. Yeah, everybody. Everybody. You're all half Wahine, half Kani. Except the warriors of uh, Maui who tattoo half their body black. I was just telling that story. <laughs> In in what context did that come up in in regular conversation? Well, I was interested in, I mean, so Hodulaina is a place where people of really different ways of thinking and ways of approaching um, leadership and community work. Like I actually look for those different minded people. Um, and so that's the story of um, Kahikili and his choice to have warriors that were all left-handed mm-hmm. uh, that that so it's it's not only that they had a dominant hand that was left it also was about that their mind their actually brain uh, functioned differently from um you know what was the primary militia at the time mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. i'm not really into militia so much but i am into revolution and i am into leadership and mm-hmm. i think I definitely look for the kind of um, leaders that can think with a different part of their brain. And that's the, I, I hope that I am never compared to Kahekili, but <laughs> in that small detail, <laughs> his approach, I do look for that kind of mind that can look, you know, and, and I think that there is something about Wahine and Kane, this left and rightness of the mind and body 
um, that I'm, I'm looking for a certain balance there. Or I'm mm-hmm. looking for something that is willing to or able to, sometimes cannot help but think outside mm-hmm. of um, what society is saying is, you know, uh, the norm. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So I was just telling that story. Yes. Like, like right before we came on the podcast, it's funny that oh. you uh, brought it up. It's kismet. See, it's all meant to be. <laughs> I, I love it. I love that. I'm going to have to write the notes for that. That's going to be so fun. <laughs> yeah. Because every, more. So every podcast we have, I write the notes. So like just in case there's context, like Hawaiian cultural context things, I will write a note about it. So people who aren't from Hawaii, who are listening on the continent, can know what we're talking about. Oh, so okay. That'll be fun. Well, I want to read them because I always like double, you know, most of what I know is from what people told me. And so I always think, well, yeah. maybe, maybe I should have a source or something. <laughs> Why? Hawaiians never had source. <laughs> my source is my grandma. You think that Kumulipo has a source? That is the source. <laughs> Well, now the kind of shotgun write them down, then we go and start. <laughs> I know, I know now. The one note in on the on the website for Kumulipo is going to be a thousand pages. <laughs> we had to define the pigeon word wangas from our first podcast. Oh, wangas! That's a good one. It is, and we had to think of words that we could oh, use. Yeah. So I think we settled on unruly. No, it was un un on unkept. unkept unkept yeah. <laughs> okay. Awesome. Aside, aside, no, we I used to do uh, with the teens uh, Jeopardy for games, and I used to have a pigeon category, and I used to write pigeon sentences and have them translated to English, and they would struggle, <laughs> and it was hilarious, and they all thought it was hilarious, and they all laugh at each other, you know, it would start easy like red the car, and they'd be like, the car is red, and like correct. Next category. <laughs> Eventually, it became something like, oh, mean the grinds, women pound. And, and they would be like, oh, wow. The food was good. We went pound. I go, no, wrong. Incorrect. You're not going to translate the pound? And they're like, oh, sorry, I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you mentioned Ho'ula'aina Why don't you I would I'll butcher it I want to get your perspective Can you describe what that is for our listeners? Oh, okay So much, yeah it's So much to say <laughs> But depends who our <laughs> listeners are <laughs> um, Wait, what, what? Is there oh, parameters? What no, no. no parameters. You got to imagine that that there's we have millions of listeners from across the world, <laughs> from Germany and Europe, you know, Japan. So Honolulu has hosted people from all over the world. Yeah, yeah. We um, uh, Aina is a 100 acre property in the back of Kalihi Valley on the island of Oahu. In the archipelago of Hawaii, <laughs> um, and uh, on this 100 acres where I live, uh, we host people from all over the world to remember the connections between land and humans, and how that connection is really about health. 
-hmm. And so that's the conceptual description and the physical description. And activities-wise, the verbs of it are forestry and, I mean, include foresting and farming and, um, gosh, circling up. <laughs> we do a lot of, uh, <laughs> we do a lot, a lot of coming together to create food and healthy space for the community. Uh, we have four main program areas. Mahi Aina is our food production, community-engaged uh, food sovereignty initiative. Um, Koa Aina is our native reforestation initiative. Hoa Aina is to engage the community in all of the work that we do in volunteership and um, in sharing. And um, Lohe Aina is our program that encompasses all storytelling and listening. So that could be anything from hula, oli, mele, um, evaluation, data. Um, so it's, it's a pretty broad um, uh, programming, lohe aina. And it basically means that we listen to the land and let it guide us. Um, we've been functioning here as part of an FQHC named Kokua Kalihi Valley for... Um, Gosh, almost 15 years now. Long yeah. time, 15 years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It went by so fast. It went by really fast. Yeah. I think that's important that people understand that Ho'ula'aina is a very vast um, program space and programming happens there. But it all functions under a very unique situation being under a health center as well. Yeah, Kokua Kalihi Valley, I think we're almost 50 years old. I think um, it might be 48 years old this year. Um, Kokua Kalihi Valley is a federally qualified health center that was founded by some aunties in the community going door to door and asking the community, what is it that you need? And the answer overwhelmingly was, we need health care, we need doctors, we need health support. And so um, Kokua Kalihi Valley at that time was the 70s. It was very like hippie-licious, I think, <laughs> in, the, um, in the founding. I think our initial uh, fundraiser was like, um, you know, Diamond Head Crater. It was oh, a diamond, yes. Oh, wow. It was a <laughs> diamond Head Crater. Like, I think Fleetwood Mac played. <laughs> Kalapana. <laughs> Man, you talk about it now. That would be, you know, $500 tickets today. <laughs> with that kind of lineup. Yeah. So that was, you know, our founding. And they, there was just a little, um, a little trailer in the parking lot of a church where volunteer doctors came and helped the community with whatever they needed. And some people paid and some people didn't pay. Some people paid with, I, I heard that some people played with, paid with trees, <laughs> with landscaping. Wow. I believe it was a chicken. <laughs> the <poor. laughs> you got to pay with chicken sometimes. So. Oh, yeah. It's either that or baked goods, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So uh, we've been doing that for kind of a while. And Kokokli Valley, like, you know, almost 50, 50 years, five zero, and then Ho'ulu Aina, almost 15 years. Uh, we've morphed to what the community needs over the many decades. Because yeah, right now, Kokokli Valley is doing tremendous, like, COVID response during this pandemic time. 
That's and I great. and I know the work you're doing, but you know, how do, for, the first question is just pure emotion, and I I just, just want to hear what you say. But you know, how do you feel about how the way your organization has responded to the community? Well, I I feel really proud, um, and that does bring a lot of emotion to me because we. I mean, Ryan, can I share that you're on the board? Actually, I'm not. Oh, are you no longer on my board? <laughs> we'll, see if we leave the, we'll see if we leave this in or not. But the board is so... <laughs> I give the board credit that the board approached me because I got sick. And I, oh. I, was, I was working a lot at, you know, at my job. And they had said, you're missing a lot of meetings. Would you consider stepping down? And oh. you know what? Of a, me being a nonprofit guy, I had so much respect. Uh-huh. They just didn't. They didn't let me just drag it on. They, uh-huh. they they were very kind. Very, they're very empathetic. They they even mentioned, you know, um, we know you're going through a lot, and mm-hmm. I felt so happy to be approaching that way, knowing mm-hmm. that boards need systems. Boards need needs ways to hold their members accountable. I mm-hmm. I felt no malice. I felt I felt so respected that I made sure that my resignation letter was, was really long. I took, I took a, like half a day to write it. I just kept mm-hmm. going back to it. But basically, yeah, I, I, they asked me to resign. But when I resigned, I said that I would always and will continue to be of service to Kalihi. Mm-hmm. So if there's ever a need that I can respond to, that you know how to reach me. And that's how I feel still. I still feel that way today. You know, so no, I'm not technically not on your board anymore. Oh, well, I didn't even know. I is that why you know. is that why you did this interview? Because you thought you had to. <laughs> no, you've been my friend longer than you've been on the board. So. Yeah, and, I, and actually, it's uh, you recruited me to the board, so I, I did. I did. It I was a good like fit. It was a good and, fit. Yeah. You and Shara are super important in oh, our community. You. What you guys are doing with Hi Ho is super important, and I felt like. Um, to have each other to be able to support and it doesn't matter if you're on the board or not i i think that i like you said wherever we are in our lives we're going to be able to support each other because we love this community oh, yes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i think the the when we moved to kalihi i think uh it was one of those things where ryan and i i think we had lived previously in kaibuki together but we had moved to kalihi and i think instantly when we moved we were like this is our home you know and every instance where we've had to move away and come, we've always come back. And for us, we just really love Kalihi so much that it's sort of natural for us to want to help in our community in any way possible. And I think uh, talking about Ryan having to not be on serve on the board anymore, he was really sad about it. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I was really, really happy that they made him resign because he wasn't going to do it. You know, I mean, he was really like, uh, he, had, he had health issues at the time and he wasn't going to resign. I know he wasn't. He was just too proud because he mm-hmm. wanted to continue to contribute. Mm-hmm. And in a way, them uh, uh, telling him he had to was kind of like, okay, Ryan, see, there, even the board's telling you, you got to slow down, <laughs> you know, you got to stop and take care of yourself. Yeah, or care else of your you body. Yeah, or else you cannot be ready tomorrow to take care of the community and so take care of yourself first so i as his wife appreciated that very much <laughs> that's great that yeah. i'm really glad for that too and i'm glad that it um i know 
anytime that you're looking for leadership and support and organization, it's so easy to kind of get caught up in what is, you know, what you think you can do or what you, you know, aspire mm-hmm. to do and to have community members and colleagues who can uh, help you to hold yourself accountable. I, I really appreciate that too. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So thanks for sharing that story. <laughs> I, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was, yeah, in terms of stepping outside of myself and looking at the process, again, tremendous respect for the board. And, and they had just recruited a couple of people and they were, they were game. Like you got some ballers there now who are nice. totally on board and who are able to give and they had the time. So yeah, it, while I was there, it was a tremendous honor. I was very proud mm. to be there. But yeah, Ho'u Lo'aina, you talk about how long we've known each other. We, oh, we just talked about how we've known each other since Waimanalo. But then the next time we reconnected was at Ho'u Lo'aina. Because Haiho was there participating as volunteers. And then we're like, oh my gosh, you're here. What's yeah, going yeah. on? That was nice. That was a nice. So Haiho was, um, I remember when you guys were just starting the nonprofit and mm-hmm. starting to like imagine what that might look like. And I thought I actually had never heard of anybody doing um, that kind of nonprofit before where you're supporting volunteerships for other nonprofits. Is there another one that does that? Not in the way that we do it. Um, mm-hmm. I think there's other people who support, but it's very hands-off because uh-huh. we are very hands-on, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, not, not in the model in which we do it. Um, no, and not, not in Hawaii and not in the continent. So no. But we, yeah. I remember the first. I remember when we went to go and meet you, because um, we had just gotten married, <laughs> and I remember we sat down with you, and you, and you had, uh, you saw our rings, and you're like, oh, so shiny, <laughs> you guys. <were> really. <laughs> and we both laughed because we had just gotten married, and we were like, you know, and we had just moved. I think we had kind of just started to. Were we still living in Kamiki at the time? We might have just moved to Kalihi. And then we were like, we want to do more service in Kalihi because this is where we're from. We want to take care of where we're from. And so, you know, we just did a cursory search and Ryan was like, let's go here. He just pointed and we're like, okay, that's where we're going to go. So you guys were our first Mm -hmm. uh, nonprofit partner because of that, as a result of that. Our very yeah, first. yeah. I, it was it was super fun. I was so proud of you guys, you know, because I, th- I like I said, I had never heard of that before. And we had been hosting a lot of volunteers and we 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 normally do like thousands, you know, and to be able to have um, you guys really helping the volunteer connection, the volunteers have their connection with one another so that you guys are showing up with a certain sense of like, familiness and connectedness that was um a unique experience for us and that was it was really also very helpful because otherwise you know we had we used to have these really big volunteer days and um managing so many people it really is helpful to have like groups and units where people can um, work together and have communication gifts or just like even checking in, how are you doing? So if I personally am checking in one-on-one to a hundred people, that is too much mm-hmm. for one person to mm-hmm. really do. 
um, and to be able to know that, okay, hi-ho, that's you guys' unit. I can just address the whole unit. Hi-ho, how you doing? And, <laughs> you know, and I, I knew that you were sort of a self-contained, um, self-checking unit. Um, and then uh, some of the, you know, the volunteer levels, Hodu Aina, you know, we started real rough. And you guys were there in the early, early days where there was a lot of, you know, swinging of picks and, you know, real, real um, foundational work. Yeah. How many tires a week will we pull out of the, the ground and the river, <laughs> oh, yeah. right? Car <laughs> engines, like refrigerators. We don't even do anything close to that anymore. You know, we got through all of the tires and the refrigerators. <laughs> yeah, when we were we started going there, there would be community work days when there would be like 20, 25 people. And yeah. we'd be, there would be 10 of us. Mm-hmm. You know, and over the years, it's gone to like, you know, 30, 40, 50. And now... At my last count, you had upwards of 100, 125 people on one day coming in. So you can see the exponential growth that you've had in volunteer service over there. Absolutely. And we really diversified our, um, so we we have changed how we host um, our volunteer days. Uh, because in the beginning, actually, I mean, before you showed up, the, the volunteer days was three guys. <laughs> it was just three of us. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, slow by slow was three then five then 10 then 25 and then um 100 and then 200 so 200. our hundred days wow. yeah our monthly work days at the peak of them there was uh was 200 people on a day and you know if you want to move pohaku from one side of the island to the other side of the island that's the kind of queen <laughs> that you need but if you if you're trying to you know harvest peppers that's too much guys <laughs> so we got to be real good at real like having the strategy of breaking out to probably you know 15 to 30 uh, groups of 15 to 30 and then um uh, we realized that it, it just makes more sense to just stay around there. So normally, um, if, when it's not the time of COVID, uh, mm-hmm. our volunteer work days, we are aiming for somewhere around 50 as a max. Sometimes we'll go up to 65. And that's a big, for me, that's a big circle nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, I am accustomed to holding the 100 and 200 person circle, but that's for like, we're going to like really do something big on a monthly basis. Just about 50 guys is just perfect because you can mm-hmm. break out into little groups. It's not super impossible to feed, you know, that many people, um, you know, especially that was one of the things that always made me feel sad is on the big days, it took so long for 200 people to get through the lunch line. Mm. Um, and so that, you know, it, you, even though people came to help, I also held, this is where I live, you know, and so I feel like they're at my house and I mm. want to malama them too. And sometimes that was too many. So we were aiming for like 50 and then COVID hit. So we haven't had any, mm-hmm. uh, uh, out now in the time of COVID, uh, but we do um, we do sometimes bring uh, volunteers to do s- like specific tasks, um, not even during the pandemic, because our normal functioning we went from that monthly volunteer o- 
opportunity to, you know, multiple times a week um, mm -hmm. that uh, volunteers could come. And then the weekly ones is, you know, 15, 20 guys is perfect. You can really get a lot done. People have that real deep touch. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes we would host groups with about 40 and then on the monthly between 50 and maybe 65. But then um, what happens there is that you really build a relationship. And that, that to me is the nice thing. Even if somebody only comes one time, if, you, if it's small enough that they can build a relationship with the staff and with the land and with the task that they're doing, that is something that I'm really looking for. Because even though, you know, like Ryan, yeah, you came and moved the same log again and again, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm still pulling the same weeds again and again. And so if it doesn't really mean something to you, you don't, you're not, you're not, you're not really going to understand, you know, you mm -hmm. have to have that personal relationship and that personal context to really understand how important it is that, that those weeds are pulled and those relationships are made and those logs are moved and that refrigerator is extracted, you know, that, that, mm -hmm. um, I think the meaning making is what we really try to focus on and make sure that people have those metaphors and those, that, those feelings mm -hmm. to take home with them to their rest of their lives. Um, Cause it feels good to Kokua and I can definitely use the help. A hundred acres is lots and lots of Kuleana. Um, but I really like when people take home that sense of Kuleana and then they can malama their own house, their own family, mm -hmm. their own yard. Mm -hmm. But I think what you talked about is something that we run across, you know, in terms of volunteer management, right? You can talk, you can think about volunteer management as working with volunteers in any setting, but in particular, you're talking about a lot of maintenance stuff. You know, it feels, you know, we were lucky enough to be there and plant hala trees and now they're gigantic, right? That's something that can be a legacy of mine. I kind of know which tree I planted, but that's a very rare occasion. Most of the times it is, how do you support the agency? How do you support the land? And the land needs weeding. And the land needs very basic things that people may or may not want to do. So I think that's, that's something that you speak about that we're very much buy into, that we try to preach and make sure that people know that your service is service. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the outcomes... I may not may not align with what your vision is, but in a way, you you guys have done it in such a way to really build that connection. Mm -hmm. That I'll do whatever you ask me to do. I'll get dirty too, even you know. Because I, know. I seen you dirty. I don't know why you're talking about you don't get dirty. I, I think that anxiety kind of lessened as I got older, and and I learned that you can wear gloves. So I mean, wearing gloves is a fantastic thing to do. You know, so, it's a success indicator for us if somebody comes one time without gloves and then comes the second time with gloves. The, their own gloves, you mean? Like they bought yeah. gloves? Yeah. yeah, they bought gloves. If this person bought gloves to, to us, we actually write it down in our database. So somewhere oh, in our that's... database is a recording that Ryan brought his own gloves. Yeah, I've, and I lost many water bottles in the forest, too. <laughs> You know they don't grow. People try to plant them. They don't grow. I don't. You know, I found, I think the one month, I went back the next month and it was there in the lost and found with uh -huh. the same water that I brought with me the month before. <laughs> and I'm like, I think I'm just going to just toss that one. I'm not going to wash it. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of things that you're talking about that 
may not be in context, but you're talking about volunteer groups and sizes. And that's something that we like to talk about too. So being an organization that's worked with as little as three, all the way up to now 200, how do you manage that many people and still build that authentic experience? Like what kind of, what kind of needs does the agency have and how do you manage it with staffing on your side? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't ever use the word manage, um, but uh, what, do, what word do I, we use the word host, um, guide, facilitate, we use those kinds of words, mm-hmm. but I, I, guess I, I, I guess it is managing. Um, at Holu, I know we always, as you know, you guys have been part of so many Aloha Circle. We start with an Aloha Circle. And um, that experience of standing in circle, saying your name, acknowledging your ancestor, saying the land that you represent, um, that is the most important, you know, quote unquote, management activity. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. So to stand in circle, then basically you bring your ancestors to that space and there's a connection that happens in that time that then from that po- moment forward in your, in your experience as a volunteer here at Holu Aina, you are like on a cell level, on a cellular level, you are aware that you are part of a collective and that that collective extends beyond those that are seen, mm-hmm. you know, includes those that are unseen and it includes the community members who are, you know, our microorganisms and our, our birds and, leaved trees or you know that that connection of that aloha circle is super important and as far as staffing and management and and understanding that um the energy that comes together in that first circle here at hold i know we try to be really intentional that like then once you call the circle and hold the circle that you bring everybody together and move that energy toward what the land needs um, so you try not to break it up too much. You try to like when you're even if as you're breaking from maybe a pod of 100 to, you know, a pot like five pods of 20, that that passing over of that collective built energy um, is that we're really intentional about that. Um, and we take our time to tell the story. We take our time to. Uh, make sure everybody is connected and understands that why, you know, why we're doing what we're doing, not just mm-hmm. the what. Mm-hmm. You get the what people, they're like, come on, we're wasting time. I got to pull the weeds, you know. But, uh, <laughs> but And that's great. We need that energy too. Um, uh, but we, we really make sure to take the time to, to, for people to understand that why, you know. And we, we have a very intentional um, curriculum that brings people through uh, – you know, the metaphors that we're trying to, you know, bring through our work. We go through a cultural history, you know, the sort of history of the land, even that maybe it was, could be an immediate history or a much longer history. So what all of that is part of that why, so that people, when they're showing up to volunteer, people are volunteering because they have connection to that why. And if we don't satisfy that, they are not going to get out of it what they really can. And also they're not going to be that effective, you know, because they're just doing it because of, you know, mm-hmm. obligation right. is not a very good motivator mm-hmm. or, you know, charity also is not a very good motivator. Mm-hmm. But this idea that I am connected to something that is greater than me, 
that is a very good motivator. And it's a motivator that perpetuates long beyond the four hour block that people are here volunteering to plant trees and grow food and whatever it is that might be this really mind blowing experience. If we don't touch that why in that first circle, when they leave, they don't feel they don't, they're not, they don't leave with the agency to recreate that sense of kuleana in their own homes or mm -hmm. in their own communities. And so that Aloha Circle, when you're talking about um, volunteer management, Aloha Circle is our number one rule. Mm -hmm. And I spend a lot of time training our staff um, and even our young kids. So our youth programs, that's one of the things that when they graduate from the youth program, they can hold their own Aloha Circle. You know, they can invite people to share, mm -hmm. name, home, ancestor. It's a simple thing, mm -hmm. but actually the um, to do it responsibly takes a certain level of mana that, that if we're teaching us, you know, an eight-year-old how to do that, that's going to last throughout her whole life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, so, so that's our main sort of management. We also do stuff like, um, there are different techniques, for, yeah, um, recognizing where people are at, understanding like finding the indicators and for us the indicators are not just people's like we pay attention to what people are wearing who they came with you know what you know what what kind of like comfort level they have with different what they're drawn to what they're not drawn to um, but we also pay attention to the whole ilona so when we go around the circle and people introduce themselves we're paying attention to the wind the rain the light how the the clouds shift when it comes to different people bringing their kupuna in, because we consider that to be a major gift to the land that people are bringing their kupuna in. And so when, you know, if somebody says, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I'm Joe Blow, <laughs> this is my whatever, I'm bringing my tutu, you know, and the, and the light shifts or the clouds move or it starts to rain or it stops raining, all of the Hodu Aina staff are paying attention to that. Mm. That person is going to get a one-on-one -on -one personal check-in sometime during the volunteer day to just see what is the kupuna intervention that brought that person here? Mm -hmm. What can we give to that person to affirm their kupuna are present? Mm -hmm. um, so when you're, yeah, that's, that's what we're working on. So it's not really about volunteer management as far as like labor management, mm -hmm. really about facilitating connections mm -hmm. and relationships between what the land is asking for and what the people are asking for or needing something they're not even asking for it. Mostly they're asking for like, can you sign my paper? Yeah. <laughs> but what they really need is like, but your tutu is here. She needs yeah. to talk to you. <laughs> See, and again, Puni, you're still, you're still teaching me. I'm still learning because, you know, when I get into, sometimes I get into the mode of nonprofit work. I come from a, a very Western perspective, right? I'm asking you very Westernized questions about management and ratios. And you just kind of drop this big knowledge about, you know, cultural relevance in the area and the methodology, which has applications in the, in the Western context. Like I could talk about you're building a retention by doing this mm -hmm. and that. But <laughs> the reality is it, it, defi it defies labels in terms of Western context. It's what you're doing is a very... Hawaiian cultural approach. Mm -hmm. And our evaluation is, is, is a Hawaiian approach also. So um, engagement and retention is, is the, the standard measure for volunteership mm -hmm. in this kind of nonprofit work. Um, but I, I tend to reject that as my most important measure. 
Um, because like I said, I can, you know, like 200 people come and then they just mess up all the trails. I got to go. So I did good for my measure of engagement, but now I get extra work. <laughs> you know, so the thing got a match. It's really about connection. That's what mm -hmm. I'm measuring for mm -hmm. is positive connection, relationship building and the retention. If I am measuring my success by retention, but actually I have the same farmer coming to learn the same thing or do the same thing over and over again when actually he could come one time, learn something really awesome and go home and dig up his yard. I'll take that over retention any day of the week. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? That is the major success. So instead of engagement and retention, I'm looking at connection and perpetuation. Mm -hmm. So those are different measures. Wow. That is I have no response to that. That's so that's, 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 that's amazing. A mic drop. What are you talking about? Sorry. That's amazing. That's the that's the kind of movement I can I can get behind. I mean, instead of you know the the scaling and the numbers and all of that, which is every what everybody's concerned about. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's and I think it's hard to say that that's a data point, right? To say that uh, what you're doing is a data point. I mean, how do you how do you say that to a foundation who's giving a grant out or whatever? How do you report that? But really, that's, I mean, you know, we're all, the work we do isn't because of the reports, right? It isn't because of the data or what we're collecting or whatnot. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's funny, and Ryan. You we, guys are yeah. smart. Char, you're super smart. And <laughs> how you, your storytelling is so powerful. Thank you. Thank Ryan, you. Ryan, you have the story. And Char, you guys together, you have like this, how HiHo does the, your guys' branding is so inspiring. Thank that, you. That is storytelling and so to me like if we work together I'm like oh yeah what we really care about is this but we can help each other to tell that story mm -hmm. I think that's really powerful yeah well what people don't know about Haiho is out of everyone involved board and staff we're about 75% Hawaiian yeah. I, mean, I mean there's I mean granted there's like six or seven of us but I mean hey we're still 75% that's hey, where's our funding for that come on no, but I was going to tell you, Ryan, even though you're talking about it in a Western context, because that's how you were educated, you're still, yes. we're still Hawaiian, and that still permeates in the work that we do. We may not necessarily know the terminology or what we're doing or why we're doing, but it is, that is why we're doing it. That mm -hmm. is why we tell our story in the way that we tell it, because mm -hmm. of our ancestors or because of who we are, you know, mm -hmm. that it's so important. We, we, it may not be... That may not have been prevalent to you prior to this conversation with Puni. <laughs> and maybe, maybe that's the blessing that we're having this conversation with Puni is for you to realize that, yeah, that is a part of the fabric of your story. And being Hawaiian is why you do these things. You know, it's just that you went to, you know, university <laughs> and you learned from, from holiday professors. I learned from the oppressors. <laughs> <laughs> no, you had Hawaiian educators too. <laughs> oh yeah, Puni's one of them. I, um, I went to university too, and you know you kind of have to navigate back and forth and just support each other. You know, mm -hmm. I think what you guys is, are doing is absolutely about you know the measures of connection and perpetuation. Yes. you guys have been doing this for a long time. You've definitely expanded. One thing that you guys are doing that I really love is the sense of ohana in your guys' um, community. Mm -hmm. It's so strong that such a 
this bonding of like deep familiarity mm-hmm. that that to me that's really powerful um and that's very very hawaiian i'm really i don't think that um i i you know that that's not when you were saying shar earlier uh that nobody has the model that you have your model is is i see it very much as a hawaiian model mm. that's a great a good party too <laughs> <laughs> just like you we you know when you're the host when you host you gotta you know you gotta take care of your people <laughs> that's right that's right <laughs> that's why we always have lots of food and we always yep. you know make sure everybody's having a good time <laughs> you never right. understand the the mindset of a Hawaiian when you when you get to a workplace and you have a budget and they're like we expect 80 people I go, we need food for 120. And they're like, that is over budget. I'm like, trust me, if you run out, it's shame. And yeah. they're like, what are you talking about? Order exactly. I'm like, I, I will no. not do that. Never. No. Never. We have blown many a high hope budget on events and 90% of it is on food. That seems appropriate. <laughs> it's a part of our culture. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, that's, I mean, the, the connection part, that's, I, I, I'm very thankful and happy that you noticed that. I mean, we, all the things that you're telling us that you folks do as far as when you uh, talk to your staff or train them in whatever protocol you folks are doing, that's what we do with our leadership team. Um, and when they learn it, they're like, I didn't know we did this. And I'm like, because that's not, we don't tell you outright that that's what we're doing. We observe all of you. We write down notes about you. We watch how you interact with people. You know, we're, it, it is, we, we do run this like we are a family. And Ryan was just remarking to me the other day about how he was like, you know, it's really fascinating. I haven't uh, noticed, but a lot of people call us family or ohana when they refer to us in Mm -hmm. social media or wherever you know they will say i'm gonna go do volunteerism with my family Mm -hmm. and and it's kind of nice to hear that you know that these people have and they've chosen us to be a part of their family it's really Mm -hmm. it's an honor (laughs) to be to be with them and have them do service together Mm -hmm. but yeah thank you thank you for (laughs) thank you for noticing that yeah well you guys are part of our belonging right so that mm-hmm. that sense of family that sense of ohana and connection um so wh- what happens with haiho which i really love is that that sense of belonging can be augmented um because when people feel like they belong to holu aina uh then all of these connections start to increase in them they want to be close they want to understand where they come from where they want to understand what their tutus did in the yard or oh yeah my tutu used to have that kind of medicine or you know there's there's a remembering there's a connection even if they're from you know ecuador they're like oh yeah my grandma too you know there's that <laughs> sense of belonging that comes from connecting on the land and what haiho can do is that that sense of belonging is augmented it's almost like this fractal expansion because your sense of belonging held within our sense of belonging or ours within yours, which however you see it, mm-hmm. however you enter into it, then um, it just, it, it becomes, uh, there's synergy, right? Mm-hmm. It, and and the, that ex- expansion lasts longer. Cause I, I'm not, you guys are, are like texting each other and posting with each other and having a following up and you know, wh- whereas 
I, my ability to impact can only go so far. Mm -hmm. You guys are like taking that and furthering and furthering it. And then I think also what's, what I've noticed too, is that that sort of Hawaiian way, you know, the really basic things like, you know, that welcoming that, uh, you know, I'm caring about you. You, you, I'm paying attention to the little things. Mm -hmm. Um, that that makes it, it affirms both of our approaches to our work, mm -hmm. you know. So even even if there's a volunteer that comes here and a and works with you separately in a different context, that reaffirmation of those values are good for all of Hawaii, mm -hmm. you know. Because oh yeah, same. Oh yeah, when I worked with Ryan and Shar, it was like that too. Mm -hmm. And so that was that. Um, I'm always looking for that kind of uh, affirmation. HiHo runs a fellowship program and we get volunteer managers from different nonprofits and we take them through a course of learning. And we oftentimes try to quantify what we're, we're coining now as, you know, just the Hawaiian way of doing, of doing this work. And a lot of times questions will come up about how do they do this and how do they do that? And we come up with answers that upon reflection always seem like a non-answer. Like someone says, how do we, you know, I have, I'm inundated with calls and, you know, how do we do that? And we always talk about how do you relate to the people you have in front of you first? And we start talking about that. And sometimes people get legitimately upset. They're like, you're not giving me answers. And we're like, we are, we're giving you an answer that involves methodology and, and just care. And how do you teach care besides mm -hmm. showing it and, and modeling it, right? I mean, you know Manu Meyer's work. Mm -hmm. I think when she published her first work, or actually before she even published, um, I would always refer to her work, especially in, when I was in my master's program, because a lot of the uh, professors like you were referring to, Ryan, were not from here. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And... When I read Manu's work, I was like, nothing is new. That's perfect. You know, like, <laughs> I mean, it was all new because it was newly written down. Right. But it was newly affirming what was already there. And so mm -hmm. I, I always refer to her work around epistemology um, to help people understand a way of knowing and a way of being that, you know, from the outside, um, is really confusing for people. And then throughout my life, I'm always trying to, maybe it's a quantifying or I'm trying to maybe find ways to articulate how that particular way of knowing or way of being is um, different from mm. what is considered standard mm -hmm. by um, my surrounding society and especially around you know the the value set that is perpetuated in media mm -hmm. um, and so I have five kids and so I'm very aware of how values are affected mm -hmm. by media and um, and so it, more and more it becomes a little bit more difficult and and yet more urgent to articulate what you were saying, Ryan, but, you know, answering without answers. I don't know how long we can keep this Zen approach up. But, 
but it always seems that when you do something really direct, it's just not, you know, it doesn't really capture it. So I really love how Manu Myers does it because she seems to do it in as direct a way as possible Mm -hmm. without crushing the soul of what you're trying to articulate. Yeah. (laughs) See, and that's one Hawaiian that that I would be terrified to have on the podcast (laughs) because... Oh, she's beautiful. She's so good. She's so uh Yeah, but either she's I'll amazing. be either I'm gonna be super intimidated or I'm gonna be crying. So it doesn't <laughs> either way you win. <laughs> no, I do not derive strength from my own tears. I derive strength from other people's tears. <laughs> Goodness. Funny. Yeah, Manu is really great. She wants to talk about, you know, stardust and mud. <laughs> really really yeah. beautiful. Yeah, but I, I'm, I, I, especially as this uh, podcast um, is shared beyond our, our islands, I think it's nice to have uh, writers that you can go to. Um, to understand some of the context of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So Manu does a good job of that. Mm-hmm. Who else, if someone's listening from Vancouver, say, and they legitimately get turned on by what we're talking about, who else would you recommend they check out? <laughs> oh, goodness. Oh, so much, yeah. <laughs> and now my mind just went all over the place. Um so there's the inside and the outside. There's the bridgers, right? And so the within, Manu is inside. Mm-hmm. She's speaking from the inside, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes to the inside and sometimes out. And, you know, there's other ones like that, you know, what, um, you know, John Osorio has published, what um, uh, Lili Kala, Kame'elehiva, what she has published, really helps people kind of get a grip of what they're doing, you know, mm-hmm. what, where, what that's from the inside. And then there are people who are writing kind of like facing out. And I, I think of Nana Viri and her work that was, um, that her work is so accessible. And, and she wrote a book called Change We Must. And she hmm. studied um, Buddhism here in the back of Kalihi Valley. Um, hmm. And her writing, her mo'olelo is so deeply from a Hawaiian perspective, but like bringing in all different kinds of, stories um uh and perspectives from you know she's looking at perspectives from her perspective is how i i see her work how simple it is it's very accessible i would say mm-hmm. and then um i mean i'm thinking of uh my nana who um was a contemporary of, of nana very my own nana uh, my own grandmother, her name is Josephine Manuai. She taught me um, to love Cahil Gibran's work. Um, so the writing of Cahil Gibran was a way for me to see um, a universality of my value sets from, you know, this writer from Lebanon. And, um, and I think that that was really foundational for me when I was young. Um, and so that would be an example of somebody outside sort of uh, writing in a way that helps, uh, helps people to see where we're at. I would also maybe, I mean, instead of only making suggestions of 
of the kinds of writing and and um, authors that have been awesome and helpful. I would also say that there are a lot of writers that are not helpful. And <laughs> <laughs> let's name all of them right now. We will name them all now alphabetically. No, we won't. But we will say that um, there are many, many texts written by non-Hawaiians about Hawaiians that uh, we could maybe put on a another person's shelf for another time. <laughs> we, that is such a nice way to several. say that. <laughs> I was going to say trash can. But. Well, no, I think that the, um, the confusion and romanticizing and racism mm -hmm. that is written about our people and our land is really important in helping us understand our um, history and how people perceive us mm -hmm. and why people perceive us a certain way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, my own, you started the podcast talking about my work as an artist. My work as an, that was actually my work as an art teacher. My work as an artist is very much about the romanticizing and objectification of land as, as woman and woman as land. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, that uh, those stories that were written by outsiders about our bodies, including the body of land that is our home and our ancestor, I think that it's important to understand where people are coming from so that you don't accidentally embody that perspective because that's the dominant perspective. Mm -hmm. Land is an object from which we mm. extract our wealth. Mm -hmm. That's, that's mm -hmm. the dominant perspective. You know, and our perspective is land is my grandmother, is my body, is my family mm -hmm. um, that I do not extract from. But in, in fact, I am in re constant reciprocal relationship with. Mm -hmm. uh, but that's a really different approach. Uh, and I think people could benefit from that. I don't know how effective just reading about it is. And that's why those, you know, you're Ryan, you're talking about the ineffable, that you cannot say it, you know, you cannot articulate it. <laughs> Sometimes you just have to be there. Yeah. Yeah. You have to experience. Experience. Yeah. yeah. Which is funny because um, I definitely want to talk about you as an artist because oh, yeah. um, I met you as an art teacher, but that's one thing, right? And then we met you again and we collaborated on working, working with the Aina. But I never got to talk to you about your personal art. So can we talk about that? <laughs> Didn't I say that this was an off-limit subject? No, just joking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's talk about this. <laughs> because your bio on kkv.net I think the first sentence says that you are an artist. Okay. So uh, you kind of just drop that kind of stuff on the internet and not expect people to follow up on that. I am. I am an artist and I was an exhibiting artist for a long time. Um, and I don't exhibit anymore. I think the last big exhibition I did was almost 10 years ago. And um, this work, Holu Aina, takes up all of my energy, time, passion, you know, and I, I dream of the day when 
a young leader is going to allow me to go back into my artist corner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Wherever you are out there. <laughs> I've already chosen a several. <laughs> I'm actually, so before we go to artists with my bio, I am like a really tough ass boss. <laughs> I am really, really tough. What? Yeah, I know people know me as this loving, welcoming. I have like the most unreasonable expectations, <laughs> which is why my staff is just amazing and awesome. And so my expectation is that one of these young people who are my staff members who are training and growing and, you know, like, striving alongside all of us here that they um will take lead here in a way that i i can start to um do the kind of artwork that i used to do um, i still from time to time will like carve something or you know do a small little piece here and there just um but as far as exhibition work and you know larger pieces i haven't worked in a in almost a decade um, which is tragic. It's like the death of an artist, but it's this, that sort of death can re resurrect. Mm -hmm. um, so in my previous life as an artist, um, I, I did painting and carving and installation work. And um, yeah, like I said, I cared very much about pushing on the edges of, uh, and I, I like to push lovingly you know, to lovingly push on the edges, to welcomingly challenge somebody <laughs> to think about <laughs> how they might be participating in colonization. But <laughs> wow, how can that be loving? I can't even imagine. I lovingly invite you, Ryan, to consider how you might be your own colonizer. <laughs> wow. You know, I'm going to have nightmares about that tonight. <laughs> I do. Nightmare. It, it took me it took me all this time to build up to telling you I, I was afraid of getting my hands dirty and now <laughs> now I'm a colonizer of my own self we are all colonizers of our own self oh we boy. perpetuate what we're taught and so <sighs> we, it's everyone it's all people I think more so I just have a fear of not being Hawaiian enough Oh gosh, we're gonna oh, go yeah. there. Yeah, no, don't let's not do that. <laughs> we don't no, have enough time. We don't have enough time for that. <laughs> this is you not. Go there? This oh, is not high hotel therapy time. Oh my gosh, Puni, this you'd be talking to the both of us, honestly, right now. <laughs> Omg, folks. So, yeah. So the Hawaiian art movement, <laughs> the Hawaiian art movement, has had that conversation forever for as long, I mean, this, this movement of Hawaiian arts from the beginning, there's always been this struggle with identity. What is Hawaiian? What is mm -hmm. being Hawaiian? What is Hawaiian enough? Mm -hmm. And um, it's interesting because it does perpetuate into Malama Aina work. I have definitely mm -hmm. had this conversation with reformed farmers <laughs> and it happens in uh, nonprofit work where people mm -hmm. feel maybe unworthy of Hawaiian support or Hawaiian networking or even Hawaiian funding. And, um, you know, what is Hawaiian enough? And, and so there's, there's lots of different ways to approach it. So one way is to say, if you made it and you're Hawaiian, it's Hawaiian. So that's, that's something I learned from the art world, you know? So there's been people like, oh, uh, <laughs> 
I'm gonna. I won't out anybody by their name. <laughs> <laughs> I prefer you do. Get tell maybe us on we'll, the side. We'll get more hits, I've, maybe. I've got, I've got all kind of fun, fun stories about this subject. So when I was, um, uh, I think it was my, my thesis review. So being an artist, I had to, you know, be reviewed by other art professors as to get a degree. And a not Hawaiian person evaluated my artwork as being not Hawaiian enough. Wow. 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 Right. And so that was really, I'm like, that was, the, I'm like, oh, yeah. It's <laughs> Did you take your earrings off and try to meet him in the parking lot? Hold my baby. Hold my baby. Funny joke. Funny joke. No, no, it was really interesting because I because that I mean we're we're back to those really messed up books on somebody else's shelf, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're like, okay, well, tell me, because it's important that I understand. What do you think is Hawaiian enough? <laughs> Oh, not Hawaiian person. And, <laughs> and for, you know, this person was like, well, you know, you're a painter and you're doing this installation work and, you know, it's great work, but it's not Hawaiian enough. I should see carving. I should see weaving. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> wow. I'm like, yeah, I leave my carving and my weaving work with my family. <laughs> not for you. <Yeah. laughs> this work is making you think about what is a Hawaiian and that's perfect. <laughs> yes. Wow. So, um, yeah, and so that identity that, you know, if you identify with, uh, how, you know, as a Hawaiian artist, th- uh, then people challenge you about your work if, it, if, if the materials isn't native enough for them or whatever. But really, it just brings, to for- brings forward people's own perspectives of, um, I- of our identity. And um, so I'm a painter. I'm I'm a sculptor. I do all kinds of work. I, I'm a head of a nonprofit. I'm a mom. I'm a you know I'm an activist. All of those things are Hawaiian, and I entered them into them with the values that my family gave to me, and so that makes me Hawaiian. That makes my work Hawaiian. That makes my approach Hawaiian because I I never check what my grandparents taught me at the door, you mm-hmm. know. Mm-hmm. how I run my organization, how I train my staff, how I organize my P&L, that is all based on my values. And so it, it is, it is, you know, it's inextricable, inextricable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what is that word? <laughs> cannot say it. You cannot take them apart. Can I, you, can, I can separate. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot separate it. <laughs> And then we have this really, I have a really beautiful friend. Um, Oh my gosh, I'm going to say his name. His name is P.E.K. Clark. And he is an amazing artist, printmaker, Uh just an amazing artist. And in his young art days, and whenever I go to Aotearoa, all of the the older artists ask, ask, how's Herman the German? Why do you call him that? Because he went to Aotearoa and, you know, you, have you seen P.K. 
Yeah, he looks like a Hawaiian. If like, if you were to say in your draw a Hawaiian, somebody yeah. would draw yeah. him. Yeah, you draw his. <laughs> yes, you know, tall, handsome, strong bones. You know, beautiful. Yeah. And um, but he didn't. He you know he was saying you know I I don't know I'm mostly German. I I don't I identify more with being German than being Hawaiian. And all the Maori laughed. <laughs> <laughs> Herman the German. Um, <laughs> and so I guess I'm not really answering the question, but, but I am telling the story in a way that like PK's work, and actually it is PK who, who told me the story. He's the person who taught me the story of Kahikili and the left-handed mm. warriors. And he has a really beautiful piece that is at Kamakaku Kalani um, that he, that is about that story. And um He's definitely a Hawaiian. There's no, you know, like, and I don't think he questions that anymore. It was when in his youth, uh, you know, that he questioned it. But it takes time. It takes time to say, okay, yes, I'm Hawaiian and I'm German. So mm -hmm. I'm and I'm Chinese and you know I'm Portuguese and I'm all of these different ancestors. One not being more important than the other. Mm -hmm. And. Um, <clears throat> Ryan, I don't know if you can handle it, but uh, I, this idea that you are your own colonizer, when it comes to women, we have to make sense of, this, of, of the, the story that we are actually our own rapists. You know, some of our own ancestors, some of our own genealogies come with such violence from mm -hmm. the op oppressor mm -hmm. that I am also, I am not only the raped, I am also the rapist. And so having to like deal with that and say like, okay, and we heal and we forgive and we love and, you know, all of those things and we move forward with better, deeper, stronger wisdom that it takes a lot. It takes a mm -hmm. lot. So I used to stand in circle and say, you know, I am, I am, my ancestors are from the Philippines and my ancestors are from Hawaii. And so I have the, the, the pride of both of my ancestors having killed both Magellan and Cook. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, such proud activism. I stand in circle and say that my ancestors killed Cook and my ancestors killed Magellan. <laughs> but then you have to realize that actually I am also Cook and I'm also Magellan. Mm -hmm. This took a very... Sorry, Heavy turn. you asked to talk about the artwork. <laughs> this is myself as an artist. We can go back to normal. <laughs> I just, <laughs> I can just see the description of the podcast, though. It says, you know, art, whole aina, KKV, you know, nonprofit management. And then all of a sudden, it's going to say rapist, and colonizer, <laughs> colonizer, colonizer, <laughs> colonizer of self. And so, okay, wait. So, if you want to come turn back, that is the most important part of the Aloha Circle to me because you come home to yourself. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. you know? So you stand in a circle and you're like, it's about the belonging because you mm -hmm. think in this realm that like, oh, I'm part of a circle. I belong. I feel good. But actually the belonging that we really need is the, the coming home, not to the circle, not to Holu Aina, not to whatever homeland that you name. It's actually coming home to yourself, mm -hmm. which is an embodiment of all of those things mm -hmm. um, and that that to me is what makes us like when you can do that then you're like ready then you're no longer afraid to take on kuleana you know you're not scared because i'm you know i know who i am i know mm -hmm. what i have to do that you know 
and, and my personality is kind of intense. And so I'll be like, you know, no. I'll, I'll, <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit, sorry. <laughs> but um, when it comes to Kuliana, like, I'm going to die doing this. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to do it till I'm dead. I'm going to, I'm going to push till I die, you know? And I, I, I only recently figured out that, oh, I, I would like to extend that date of death to be as far into yeah. the future yes. as possible. So there's some things I have to do to tone down this intensity. Yeah. <laughs> you can have that methodology and the way of thinking, but not have it be five years from now. <laughs> right. <laughs> Maybe 50 years. I don't know. 50 years from now, I could die doing it. I'm not going to die doing it tomorrow. Yes. In fact, the same Maori um, artist, his name is Sandy Adset, who teases P.K.L. Herman, the German. He's the one that taught me, okay, yeah, Puni, but you're no good to us if you're dead. <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. Okay, tone it down. Going for the long haul. See, but once 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 you have that recognition, right? Because because there's no doubt, it uh, a little behind the scenes action at the in the board meetings, you were sp- always spoken of with such reverence that mm-hmm. I felt proud in those meetings to know you. Mm-hmm. You know, the, whenever uh, Dr. David would talk about you, it was always in such high esteem that I was like, "This is amazing." The recognition that they're giving you, mm-hmm. I don't know if so to tell you. It's just be a secret, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. Um, <laughs> They kick me off already. <laughs> um, but I, I agreed. I understood that. And at the same time, when you talk about building the legacy, right, it, it makes me fearful that something that we've dealt with high hole is we're supposed to build high hole to exist after we're gone. Mm-hmm. But who comes after? And are they, like you said, we're going to live and die high hole right now. We put so much energy into it as much as we can muster. Mm-hmm. even when there's a, a severe lack of it sometimes, mm-hmm. that the next step and the next level is something that I'm, I guess I'm afraid of, you know? Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I think about successorship a lot. And I have since um, the, my, you know, first years at Hodu Aina, mm-hmm. even before I was the positional leader here, um, I was you know, engaged in these conversations, especially with other Malama Aina organizations about successorship. And that's something that, so the Malama Aina organization, the shape of it is just like, you know, ancient, right? This, that's just like farm community, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. But the, as an organization and a 501c3 and an educational component and a health center or whatever, the, the shape of that is, is not 50 years old yet. You know, it's, it's just, barely it's maybe i'm 44 so i'm as old as kaala farms Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. so that's pretty much how old the malama organization is Mm. and um when in the founding of that and throughout this last uh gener you know i guess 40 something years is two generations without over this last 40 something years what successorship um has been about is shaped after uh, American or, uh, you know, white Western uh, views of leadership, which are singular and hierarchical. Mm-hmm. 
And so when we think about leadership within our future, it's likely if we are successful in decolonizing our community systems, decolonizing our agencies, our organizations, if we're able to decolonize that, it's likely that single hierarchical leadership is, and, and you know, for the most part male, it is no longer uh, the right shape for us. And so when we think about successorship, I think what we should be thinking about is like, okay, I stood in the space between. I stood in the space between corporate shapes of budget and leadership and capitalist extraction <laughs> and the true founding needs of our community. I'm probably not supposed to say all this stuff on a podcast. <laughs> you know, you should be happy to know that probably 10 to 20 people will listen to this and, they're all, they, all, and they all know you already. So okay, it's okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, so there, there was that, right, which helped the founding. And so the 501c3 was designed to not, so it was, it's just a tool. We just right. see it as a tool. Mm -hmm. We like, mm -hmm. right, this is our tool to overcome oppression. Mm -hmm. This is a tool so that we can utilize funds in a mm -hmm. specific and efficient way yes. from the system that oppresses for the right. system that is, that mm -hmm. is the truest shape of our nation, our people, our land, our mm -hmm. community. Right. So how long is that that tool going to be sharp? The 501c3 who could be it could be 200 more years. We don't know. But if we want that that tool to work, I mean, it could be, you know, 10 more years. Who, who knows? But we want that tool to work. We, we have to remember that it's just a tool. It is not our entire world. It mm -hmm. is not the shape of the world. So a lot of times people think, well, it's got to be like that because your board says this and the executive director does this and we need to new, have a new executive director. Well, what if you were to imagine a shape of, of leadership that was beyond those prescribed shapes? Like, you know, put Robert's rules down for a moment. And <laughs> like, Robert, oh, you got to edit. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. How yes, I love the F-bombs. Sorry. <laughs> So anyway, <laughs> we're going to put Robert's rules down for a second and we're going to imagine leadership in a way that actually makes sense. And for me, I only have my family and my, you know, my extended family as examples of what would make sense in leadership. And it's, there's a lot of shared leadership. There's mm -hmm. a lot of leading from behind. There's a lot of woman leadership. There's a lot of relational um, co-leadership. Uh, and, and so those kinds of models, I think, it, if we're intentional about bringing those models to the forefront, our successorship does not have to be this fearful. You know, it doesn't have Yay. to feel like, who's going to be the next Pooney, you know? And, Nobody. And I've already sort of <laughs> named Noah as like, okay, we got to, we shook, we shook on it 15 years. You're five years into a 15 year plan. <laughs> you got 10 more years before I'm painting. <laughs> <laughs> got to stay healthy. <laughs> but for him, it's so scary. He's like, how can I do it? I can't do it like you. I'm like, I'm not asking you to do it like me. I'm asking it to you to do it like you. Yeah, but he's going to be doing it, and the next thing you know, he's just doing it. He's not going to even know that it happened, you know? Right. But I do right. think that speaks to you as a person. 
Yes. I mean, the more the more people are afraid to follow your footsteps. I mean, that means that means the footsteps are gigantic, right? But I think I already feel that you're gonna empower someone enough because you wouldn't want someone to run it like you. You want someone to no. run it like how they would. Mm-hmm. Just right. the values are the same, but methodology, personality, maybe they'll be a lot nicer than you are in terms of being a boss. <laughs> <laughs> well, my footsteps only seem big because I really am following Kupuna. Like if you can see the photos of the Kupuna behind me on the wall. Mm-hmm. That like literally in every choice that I make, I'm thinking about those people who taught me. And so my feet are little, my steps are little, but the steps that I'm making are their steps. And so anybody can do that, right? As mm-hmm. long as you know where your Kupuna is from and you follow what you were taught, mm-hmm. all of your steps will be, will be powerful steps. And I would hate for people to do it like me because I can barely find my eyeglasses every <laughs> I think I think there's been multiple times that on the work day when you're like, Where's my phone? And we're like, yes. I don't know, there's a hundred acres behind this. It could be anywhere. My slippers, I can't find my slippers. <laughs> Um, but if you want to pontificate string theory, I'm there with you. I don't know where my slippers are. <laughs> it's where they need to be. They're oh my god! Yeah, exactly where they need to be. That's where they are. In the fourth dimension. <laughs> but yeah, we. I, I want to thank you for bringing up the the idea set of you know there doesn't need to be a hierarchy of leadership. You know there doesn't have to be one person in charge, and that person doesn't have to be male. You know, there can be a multitude of people running something, an organization, a group of people doing something good, and that can work. You know, it doesn't, we don't have to subscribe to the ideal set of this is how it's done, and this is how it's always going to get done. You know, as much as things change and move, those things can change and move too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you are you. He's your you. Uh, your Instagram star. <laughs> yes, this is our Instagram star. Mobile I love. House. I love watching him. It's so fun. <laughs> <laughs> it has been a fun development of the pandemic that he took it upon himself to um, host that way of people accessing. So we talked earlier about that sense of belonging, mm-hmm. and so hotels is so much that just people being able to tune in every day. And have that, or, or any, any day, maybe mm-hmm. more than every day, any day, and have that immediate connection to this place and this community as um, we, are, we are closed. So dealing our closed all parts. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so currently for the pandemic, we are closed. Um, and I had to put up a oh, so sign. sad. It's closed. Oh my so gosh. Sad. <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> But where uh, the staff is still accessing, the forestry staff is still maintaining uh, space. We're still doing the work that needs to be get done to feed our community and provide support mm-hmm. during the mm-hmm. pandemic. Uh, but we are closed to the public mm-hmm. um, currently. And so Mo'otails is one way that even though the gate is closed, that people can still enter into this place and feel connected. You know, yeah, I want to do a plug for that. It's uh, I'm gonna look it up to make sure. What's the Instagram name, Puni? Polu Aina. 
Yeah. So, so it's yeah. Ahulu Aina and it's uh, Instagram live and it's, it's uh, something that we looked at and we're like, this is so neat. <laughs> and the question I have is, was it his idea to do that? It, it was. And the, it, leadership, the leadership, the awesome. leadership that you had just said, just go do it. Yeah, absolutely. See I, that, that interaction right there is something so pure that I'm looking for in terms of leadership <laughs> to be like, you know what? It's, we've never done that before. I don't know even how it's going to work, but you want to figure it out, go do it and just get it done. And he's I, made it his own. It's wonderful. And like I said, I have very high standards and I have a, a so <laughs> the first few, I'm like, no, do it again like this. No, do it again like this, you know? So I had a lot of editing and like suggestions and he very, um, He's not known as a humble person. The end result is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> With a lot of humility, he took on all of that critique and made adjustments. And as the, the pandemic shifted, he made sure that he was reaching out to other communities. So it was really, yeah, it absolutely was his idea. And, um, and I, I, I did support him through it. I, I, cause I wanted to know what is that going to be like, you know, mm-hmm. how I, and I was, I'm looking for the development too. I, so I have this, I have this leadership, um, uh, practice, maybe it's a methodology. I don't know, but it is a practice and it comes from this word, niho peku. So it's, you know, when the Olena is just shooting up, mm-hmm. I, I'm that that is the niho peku and I'm looking for that and so Nainoa saying I want to do this Instagram live thing to me that is proficiency emerging and I'm looking for that when I see that even if it's like not perfect yet and still finding its way if I see that that ew, that like you know that I'm going to feed that I'm going to make sure that it has its opportunity to grow mm-hmm. even in its awkwardness we all grow in our awkwardness you know well, I mean, I, that's what innovation is, really. It's people allowing people to allow their gifts to come to fruition, right? And you talk, and you said it. You just didn't let them run willy-nilly. You shaped them a little bit. But it's necessary. And I'm glad he was humble enough to listen. But in the end, it's distinctly his own still. <laughs> and still. The, the product is, is wonderful. We love it. Yeah, it is. I mean, and I think it's going to be really important as... Uh, schools are not opening or not having the same kind of access to um, Aloha Aina education mm-hmm. as before. So I just, you know, it's like a little vitamin every day, 10 minutes. So I, and I've, um, I, there's one thing about motels that I really love. So I've talked before about the kupuna who are on the wall, um, their photographs behind me and those kupuna have passed already. And I have, um, you know, many, teachers that I sort of cherish that have already passed on that lead our work. What's really cool about Mo'oteos is that it gives a chance for those kupuna and kumu who are still here with us to mm-hmm. tell stories in ways that like, you know, are beautifully cherished and sometimes taken for granted. Mm-hmm. And so we've had Uncle Imai Kalahele who, who is, um, one of my heroes as an artist um, and an activist. Uh, he comes on and talks about art and Hawaiian thinking and sovereignty. And 
you know, and I, we have Uncle Maka, um, Atwood Makanani, he's from Kauai. He comes on the motels and tells stories and just the rhyming and poetry of, you know, people who know Uncle Maka are like, ah, oh, yeah, Uncle Maka, he's just spinning poetry again. But people who don't know him or don't get to see him all the time, it's really a cherished 10 minutes that you get to hear Uncle <laughs> spinning poems. Um, you know, and even Auntie Eunice and all her love, she's not able to welcome people here um, as she usually does. Um, normally on a weekly basis, we might have a group come up and Auntie Eunice is so loving that she tries to time the baking of the ulu cake Aww. in the morning. Mm. So that when our guests arrive, they are greeted by the smell of the baking udu bread. And um, that is love. That's mm -hmm. a different mm -hmm. level of love. And she hasn't had the opportunity to do that because mm -hmm. we're, you know, closed during the pandemic. But her being able to share something so simple as like, this is how you open up a jabang, <laughs> you know. Yeah, so, this so is cute. how you do it. <laughs> I saw that. I saw it. It was so cute. <laughs> She's like, plenty of people don't know how. It's true. It's true. Plenty of people don't know how. <laughs> we, were just asked, we were just asked the other day, do you guys want Jabong? And we're like, no. No, thank you. <laughs> Not when you grow up with it, you're like, no, I'm good. <laughs> I used to have that all the time. Oh, yeah, I had a Jabong tree in my yard. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Me and that tree had some words. <laughs> okay, I want to um, make sure that before our time runs out, that we do ask you the official one question of the High Hole podcast about the volunteering, right? Did we talk about that? What is we your, talked a lot about volunteering. Yeah, what, what, is, <laughs> what is your earliest, earliest experience? Okay, well, let me start it again. What is your... <laughs> You know, when I edit this, I take out all my ums, ums and pauses. <laughs> so people are going to be like, damn, this guy is a great speaker. Like, no, it's not. I'm good at editing. Nope. <laughs> that is a great editor. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> what is your earliest experience with volunteering or volunteerism? Um, we leave it vague on purpose. You know, I, I, want, yeah. I, want, yeah, I want to hear what people interpret it as. That's half the fun. You know, you, you had you actually prompted me with the question, and I had forgotten it. But even now, I I I can't exactly remember. But what comes to mind for me is my role in my family, uh -huh. and so my role in my family since I was very like little, 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 young, is ho'onona. So. I'm the person that is sent to get so-and-so, to bring whatever, to make the coffee, to serve the water. You know, as a child, that was my role. Mm -hmm. I can't remember before. Um, I can't remember what, what it felt like to, before I was old enough to do that role. And so that is what I would imagine volunteerism to be for me and what I hope volunteerism could be for people who volunteer here. And what's um, interesting about ha having that role for myself is, so I was very close to my grandmother who I named earlier. I was really close to her and I, I, she taught me so much. And um, not everybody 
was asked to go do that and go do this and bring mm -hmm. that or you know uh, but I felt really proud to to do those things um and the the blessing of spending time with her and learning from her was in direct relationship with that role of ho'unauna, mm -hmm. you know? And I think that that's what volunteership is like here at Ho'uluaina, that you might show up thinking that you're contributing your labor or, you know, something about helping a charity or something, or, you know, community service hours, whatever you might imagine volunteerism to be. But once you stand in the circle and our ancestors are present, what I'm hoping for is that sense of blessed learning, that sense of blessed learning from connection, learning from service, from co-service, not to one another or to any sort of organization or agency, but to the land, to community, to the connection of, of one another relationship, you know, that 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 sense of learning. And I've, I've witnessed it lots and lots of times. People are like, I didn't know that this is how you did this thing. You know, it could be very, very surface. Like I learned how to mulch the plants and now I'm going to go home and I know how to mulch my plants. Something super surface to something very much deeper. Like I felt my family visiting me in the forest, mm -hmm. you know? And so those, um, you know, in constant reciprocal relationship, that's, what I, what I'm designing for the volunteer experience, and it's based on my family experience. So that I'm thinking probably that's not a normal answer, but that, that's all I got. I'm sorry. <laughs> we don't label the answers. We okay, just... I'm not getting graded. No. <laughs> it's not like I'm going to say correct. <laughs> yeah, correct. That's the right answer. Can I get a gold star, please? <laughs> One puny gold hoku. <laughs> That's funny. But well, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I enjoy even thinking about my grandmother in those contexts. You know, mm. just by, just remembering. I remember her so much. She taught me so much. Mm -hmm. You know, hearing about the role you had makes you think about my mom used to cook all the meals and I was the one home a lot and she would be upset and she'd be asking me for help. And I'm like rolling my eyes like, yeah, I'll help you because you're upset. And then it got to a point where I'm like, I'm going to help you because I know you're upset before you get upset, you know. And then it's like, then I'm going to help you because no one else is helping you. And she'd be like stirring the pot very angrily, right? Stirring. Hey, hell, hand me this and hand me that and I'll be helping her. Inadvertently, I look back at it now and then that really is a gift, you know, because my mom had passed and people mm -hmm. had asked me, you know, how did you learn how to cook? And I said, I never was taught, but I was always helping. And through observation, I remember certain steps. I remember methodology and systems that she did. And I remember the smells and... I remember that, you know, that she was, I don't, to this day, I don't know if she was just mad or what. <laughs> I don't know if she had a secret desire to be like, I'm secretly teaching you. <laughs> but it worked. Um, I have a lot of influence in my cooking and I and learned 
that was my first experience in learning how to prepare food and take care of my own needs by watching and helping someone do it. So, you know, that, that came up for me when you're talking about that. So I can imagine, you know, how, how cherished these memories are. So I'm glad that you took it a, a trip down memory lane while talking to us, you know, cause you're blessing us with your presence here. If you get something oh, out yes. of it, then that's great. Oh my goodness. <laughs> it was, it's been really fun. I haven't, you've seen, I don't know how many staff members come through the door behind me. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> it's great. Uh, uh, watch them come through the door and watch their faces. So funny. <laughs> They're confused, right? Yeah. Our, our normal days are frantic, just filled with so much work. This urgent, emergent, urgent, emergent, constant. Like this is the COVID um, response that we're doing is truly a life and death um, mm -hmm. urgency. And so the confusion on the face of like, what are you just talking stories? <laughs> you know, if I had known how busy you were, I would have I wore a suit and you could have told all of them, oh, I'm just interviewing for a job. <laughs> no, I intentionally designed for this to happen right now so that I can... Because my, my bandwidth is, is extremely full. And this I knew that this activity would be rejuvenating for me Aww. to spend time with you. And so when I, um, when I asked Bernice to schedule the Zoom with you, um, I, I let her know that this, that this is like restoration time for oh, me. Oh, thank you. Oh, it's equally well. for us, yeah. <laughs> I learned so yeah. much. There's always a time after the podcast is over where uh -huh. I, first of all, I don't talk for a while because I use all yeah. my words. So. Yeah. yeah, Ryan, after this is done, Ryan and I will go in our own little respective corners and not talk to each other. <laughs> it's, it's hard work as an introvert to kind of get all these words out. Um, but I always feel very heartful after I speak with people. And there's no, no, this is not an exception. This is going to carry me for a while. Oh, yeah. You know, there's yeah. a lot of, for lack of a better word, there's a lot of crap happening out there with, you know, mental health issues and anxiety and stress about COVID numbers and, mm -hmm. you know, knowing, you know, what the society is going to come to and the election coming up and all those things. Mm -hmm. And Well, even mm -hmm. the work we have to do and we have to continue to do mm -hmm. and show up for our people. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. That it's not, it's not going to end. Yeah. So yeah, having this time with you is also very beneficial for us. And yeah, I'm going to be flying high after this. Yeah, Yay. this was very nice respite for me as Thank well. You. Thank I've, you. Thank you. I felt very connected and happy and I appreciate the time. Thank you so much. So is there anything, uh, any last words you want to share with the dozens of people listening to our <laughs> podcast? Um, no, I, I'm grateful for the time. I'm grateful for the relationship. I think there's nothing more important than relationship. Well said. And we agree. Yes. So um, I guess that's it. Thank, Thank you, you very guys much. for the time and oh the my gosh. sharing. Thank that you. was awesome. Thank you Thank for you. your time. I don't know many people as busy as you that can just carve out two hours to two hours. It was two hours, and the red like I mean, Scotty is here. He has he's like I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna go. Thank you guys so Thank much for you. the time. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Love bye you. Bye. Love you. Bye. Love you bye -bye. too. Bye. -bye.